Ah yes, you're listening to Life 101, where we, listen, where we live in faith every day. This is Line Up Online, where we study God's Word line by line. I'm your host, Pastor Adrian. Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 9, Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? chapter, same verse, them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. And he explains, for precept, that is religious instruction, must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. you walk with God and you want to understand true doctrine, it's time to get your Bible and follow along as we study God's Word. It's time to be weaned from the milk. Get your Bible. Tell a friend about this study. Tell your pastor about this study. And let's get into God's Word, line upon line. Yes, we are up to, or we are beginning a new book. We're going to begin uh, the book of Revelation. And this is a book that has caused uh, no end of confusion, no end of, um, what was saying, conjecture and guessing and all kinds of interpretations and misinterpretations and misunderstanding. We're going to tackle the book of Revelation. And hopefully you were with us as we covered the gospel according to Luke. That was volume one of what Luke wrote. He then wrote uh, the book of Acts, which is volume two. And when we put Luke and Acts together, we get a thorough understanding of the true gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the kingdom of God, the kingdom being restored to Israel. Now, what we also saw in Luke and Acts was how Christ began his ministry, and then Luke records that. But then we see the ministry of Christ continuing in his church, after his death, burial, and resurrection, that he then is, became the head of his body, and his body became the church. And so the church on earth continued the very same ministry that he began, according to the prophecies of Isaiah. And when he began his ministry, he began with Isaiah. So we, and particularly we saw the ministry of the Apostle Paul, <clears throat> and how much it paralleled Jesus's ministry, and then Luke wanted Theophilus to understand this. But but in, in covering Luke and Acts, we really get a true narrative of the Bible, and with all the callbacks back to the Old Testament, so many Christians today that have no regard for the Old Testament, they just think it's completely obsolete, and they call themselves New Testament Christians, not realizing that the early church didn't have the New Testament. The early church had the old, the, the Bible was the Old Testament. And all of the preaching and teaching was done from the Old Testament. And that without the Old Testament foundation, we really cannot understand the Bible. In fact, we end up misunderstanding it. And so with all the callbacks, again, line upon line here, a little there, a little, with all the callbacks back to the Old Testament, we really get a good understanding of what the, the Bible story, the Bible narrative really is, both Old and New Testament, because they're just one story from the beginning. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is telling one story. And it concludes with the book of Revelation. This is the final revelation from God to man. And it seals the Bible. And as we go through it, what will help us is realizing that it's it's not some, you know, some people just think it just came out of the blue. And so they read the book of Revelation, trying to interpret all the symbology 
all the symbols in the book without any regard to the previous prophecies. We're not going to do that. We're going to take a careful reading line by line, looking at the, the scripture and, and interpreting any symbols in the book based on what was written before. So let's open with a word of prayer and get into the book of Revelation. Our Heavenly Father, we pause before we begin this study. We want to acknowledge you, Lord, and we want to thank you and praise you for your loving kindness, for your faithfulness. And we thank you, God, for your word and for Jesus Christ who faithfully brought your word to us. Father, please help us as we begin this study, the book of Revelation, very intimidating book uh, for many because it is uh, somewhat mysterious. But also, Father, it's a book that many just completely misinterpret and, and shipwreck themselves. We pray for your protection. We pray for your guidance and your understanding. And we thank you, Lord. And we ask all of this in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. So let us begin in the book of Revelation. It begins here, uh, chapter 1 and verse 1. It is the revelation. In Greek, we would say the apocalypsis, the apocalypsis of Jesus Christ. Many people don't know what is this word apocalypse. When, when we hear, you know, I think it's movies and we hear apocalypse, we just think of all things blowing up all over the place and dead bodies everywhere. But the apocalypsis, actually, the Greek word apocalypsis means revealing, the unfolding. So everything that's been hidden is now being shown. So it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And sometimes in your Bible, um, you might look at the, the, the uh, heading, and you might see the revelation of St. John the Divine. It's not the revelation of St. John the Divine. The scripture tells us very clearly, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, where did he get it? Which God gave unto him. So the Father gave this revelation to Jesus Christ. Why did he give it to Jesus Christ? To show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. So, Jesus Christ received this revelation from God the Father. And the reason he received it is to show his servants things which must shortly come to pass. So it's the, it's the revealing, it's the apocalypsis, so that his servants are not walking in the dark. That there are going to be many that have no clue what is going on around them. And, and this whole, uh, the, the final chapter is going to come upon them as a snare. They have, they're not expecting it at all. But this should not be the case for God's people. God's people should see it coming. God's people should understand everything that's happening as it's unfolding. I think most people in the world today, it's just, uh, I don't think there's anybody, any adult anyway, that would not agree that the world is topsy-turvy. There's no adult that would not agree that we've never seen anything like this before. You know, when I talk to uh, my mother's generation, they're in their 80s, uh, they will tell me they've never seen the world, um, just they've never seen it's crazy to them. And so something's happening. And those who are in the body, the true servants of God, we will understand what is happening. The rest, it'll come as a snare. So he gives it to, God gives it to Jesus Christ to show to his servants things which must shortly come to pass. So from the perspective of God, all of this now is going to happen very quickly. And that's why you have this sense in the world of acceleration. The world is speeding up, it's kind of spinning out of control. Because everything here that's in this book, it's going to come to pass very quickly. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. So it comes from God the Father. It's to Jesus Christ. From Jesus Christ, it gets signified. And that word signify, uh, the, the Greek word is semano or semino. And it means to put in symbolic form. So the conversation that Christ had with the Father, when he received this revelation from the Father, Christ then made the revelation symbolic. So the book of Revelation is unique in the Bible, in that, let's say you compare it to the book of Genesis. When we read the book of Genesis, we should read it literally, unless there's a very good reason to read something symbolically. 
The book of Revelation is the opposite. When we read the book of Revelation, it is signified. It's presented to us in symbols. And so we should read it symbolically and not literally, unless there's a good reason to take something literally. And there are places in the book of Revelation where it should be taken literally. And there are places in Genesis where it should be read symbolically. But in the main, Genesis should be read literally. And in the main, Revelation should be read symbolically. So he, he, he put it in symbolic form. And then he sent it to John through his angel. So it goes from God the Father to Jesus Christ. It gets put in symbolic form, given to an angel. The angel delivers it to John. John delivers it to his servants. Now, it's in it's in signifiers. It's in symbols. In Proverbs 25 and verse 2, Solomon writes that it is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. So, so this revelation, it's here in plain, I guess we say it's hidden in plain sight. So it's hidden in plain sight. It is for the servants of God who are called to become kings, and we'll read that shortly, that we who are called to become kings, it is, it is our honor to search things out, to search out the mysteries of God. And so God conceals this thing with symbols. We have to do the hard work, the heavy lifting, to understand what these symbols are and to search them out. Now, we can have a clue as to what this book is all about and how to interpret symbols in chapter 10. In Revelation chapter 10 and verse 7, John writes, But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, so this is now, we're coming to the conclusion of the whole matter. In the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, listen, the mystery of God, the mystery of God should be finished. This whole thing has been a mystery. What God is doing on the earth, people do not understand. And now finally, in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when, when he, the seventh angel, when he begins to sound, finally, the mystery of God will be finished. Now, what is it that we know about this mystery of God and how it finishes? Listen, it's right here. That the mystery of God should be finished as he has declared to his servants, the prophets. So right here in Revelation, it's telling us that this mystery, when it finally comes to a conclusion, it's going to come to a conclusion in the very way that the Word of God told us that it would. And that God has given this information to his servants, the prophets. So again, line upon line, here a little, there a little, for precept must be upon precept, line upon line. So we have to go back into the prophets to understand how the mystery of God is finished. We have to go back into the prophets to unpack the signifiers, the symbols that Jesus Christ packages Revelation in. But it's only for his servants. So the atheist, the agnostic, the Hindu, Buddhist, Muslim, whoever they are, when they pick up this book, they will have no idea. They will not be able to make heads or tails out of it. It's, it's a, a, apocalyptic literature. They won't be able to make heads or tails out of it. But the servants of God, who listen to God, who take the word of God seriously, and go back and study the prophets, we will have the keys to unlock the mysteries. We will have the keys to unlock the symbols, to interpret the signifiers. Why? Because they're with the prophets. In fact, in Luke, when we were in chapter 8 of, of the book of Luke, in verse 10, remember this. Jesus said, unto you, that is his disciples, it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. To you, it's given to understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to others, in parables. I'm, I'm not telling them plainly what's going on. And he's speaking of fellow Jews. That there's a set of Jews that his disciples, that he's allowing to understand the mysteries of the kingdom, 
But the others, no. Only speak to them in parables. Why? That seeing, they might not see. And hearing, they might not understand. And in the same way today, people can see the book of Revelation, they can read. The book of the Bible is one of the most published, I think it is the uh, most published book in the world. And everybody has access to it, or almost everybody has access to it. And certainly all the people that do have access to it, they have access to the book of Revelation, and they don't understand it. Because Christ says, to you, it's been given to understand the mysteries of the kingdom. But to others, it's not given. Why? That seeing they might not see and hearing they might not understand. And he's quoting Isaiah by saying that. That separation between those of the people of God who can understand and those in the covenant community who cannot understand, who will not be allowed to understand, he's quoting the prophecy in Isaiah. In Isaiah 69, six, Isaiah 6, sorry, in verse 9, he says, Go and tell this people, God's people, Isaiah is all about the relationship between God and his people. That God says in, in chapter 1, I brought up children and they rebelled against me. Even the ox knows his owner, but my people don't know me. And now in chapter 6, as Isaiah begins his ministry, he says, go and tell this people, hear you indeed, but understand not, and see you indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert, and be healed. And that would be a terrible thing. Because God is in a covenant agreement with these people. And he promised that if they do certain things, he'll do certain things. But if they do other things, he will do certain other things. And they chose to do the other things. And so God is bound by his covenant agreement to do the certain other things. And we find those in Deuteronomy 28 and 29. The curses that must come upon Israel because of their breaking of the covenant. And so God is doing that. And in doing that, we see in Deuteronomy 30, the whole purpose of God bringing the curses of the covenant upon Israel, for their breaking the covenant, is not to destroy them completely. Instead, these curses that come upon them are to drive them to a true, heartfelt, wholehearted repentance that enables them to come into a new covenant with God. Jeremiah 31, 31, that God says he promises he'll come into a new covenant, not with Gentiles. The new covenant is not for Gentiles. But the new covenant, Jeremiah 31, 31, read it for yourself, that it's with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And in Deuteronomy 30, Moses explains why. That they're to be, they're, 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 they're to be gathered back to God and established in the land as God's premier nation among the nations of men. And so Isaiah, when he receives this astounding prophecy, he says, verse 11, Isaiah 6, verse 11, Then said I, Lord, how long? How long do you want this to go on for? Where I'm going to be preaching, and my own people will have no idea what I'm saying. How, how long, Lord? And he answered, according to the covenant, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. And this is what we are peeking into in the book of Revelation. That the culmination of what all the prophets have spoken, this mystery that is not understood by the world, that God is working out, that he's now allowing his servants to understand how this is all going to unfold, how it's all going to conclude in the book of Revelation. But the clue to understanding what's going on in the book of Revelation is chapter 10, verse 7 in Revelation, where it's going to conclude according to what the Lord told all of his prophets. In fact, in Amos, let's look at just one of these prophets. In Amos chapter 3 and verse 1, the prophet Amos says, Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. So I'm sorry, the rest of the families of the earth, 
that are not descended from Israel, God has no relationship with you. None. His relationship, he tells us right here, is exclusive to Israel. Now, when Jesus Christ came and he died and the, the um, gospel was taken to the Jews, they rejected it. And so, and it's all this mystery. Well, we, we'll get into it later. But it's in, we, we, we read Romans 9, 10, 11. That really unpacks the mystery of Israel. But he, he blinded them according to the prophet Isaiah. And he opened the gospel to the Gentiles. Not so that he could have a new covenant with Gentiles, but so that Gentiles could be grafted into the covenant that he has with Israel. There is only one relationship that God has with man, and it is with Israel. And so Gentiles are being grafted into Israel. Not that God is having a relationship now with Gentiles. His relationship is with Israel exclusively, and Gentiles are grafted in to provoke the Jews to jealousy. That as the Gentiles are grafted in, we will turn to the Jews and say, Behold your God, and provoke them to jealousy. But he says, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Israel must be punished for all their iniquities according to the covenant. He says, can two walk together except they be agreed? So Israel and God cannot walk together if Israel does not agree with God. Then he says this, will a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Will a young lion cry out of his den if he has taken nothing? Uh-oh, what is this about? This is about a beast attacking prey and the beast does not attack the prey if there's no prey to the beast does not roar let me say that the beast does not roar if there's nothing to take down if the lion is just you know on the plains lying down having a rest there's no reason to roar it's when it's putting terror into the prey that it's going to roar as part of the takedown and israel is going to be taken down and this is what the book of Revelation reveals to us, that there, there, is a, a, there are a series of beasts culminating in a final beast that are all designed to take down the prey. And the prey are the covenant people of God who have disobeyed him and need to be brought back into obedience, need to be brought into heartfelt repentance. Will a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Will a young lion cry out of his den if he has taken nothing? Can a bird fall in a snare upon the earth where, there, where no gin is for him, or no trap is for him? Shall one take up a snare from the earth and have taken nothing at all? So a trap is not going to snap shut if nothing walks into the trap. Well, there's a trap being laid, and it's being laid all over the earth. Because Israel is scattered, and it's going, and it's designed specifically for Israel. He says, "Shall a trumpet be blown in the city, and the people not be afraid? Shall there be evil or catastrophe in a city, and the Lord hasn't done it? Surely, and this is what I wanted to get to, verse seven, Amos three, verse seven. Surely, the Lord God will do nothing, but He reveals His secret." unto his servants, the prophets. So God is going to do something. It is going to be of a, a catastrophic nature, but he will not do it without warning. He's going to reveal it to his servants, the prophets, first. Now, we see in Revelation 10:7 that everything is going to conclude according to the declarations of the prophets. So in terms of understanding these signifiers, these symbols in Revelation, we're going to find clues for how to interpret these symbols according to the declarations of the prophets where God promises he will not do anything without revealing the secrets, his mysteries, unto his servants, the prophets. And then he says, the lion has roared. Who will not fear? 
the Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? So these prophets who understand the roaring of the lion, these prophets who understand the word of God, they have spoken. And it's been recorded for us. It's all here in the Bible. We can go back and we can study the prophets, Zechariah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, Malachi, Joel. We can go through all of them and we can see what God is saying. Because all of them had a very a near-term focus, warning Israel or warning Judah, this is what's going to happen basically tomorrow. But then all of them had a far-term as well. They would then shift and speak in a way that obviously they're not talking about the immediate future of the people who were living in their day. They were clearly speaking eschatologically of the end time. So when we go back to these prophets, their, their words apply to our time. And they will help us understand the book of Revelation. In chapter 9 of the same prophet Amos, in verse 8 he says, Behold, the eyes of the Lord are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from off the face of the earth. The lion has roared. Is Israel afraid? Israel should be afraid. Because God has set Israel as a prey for the beast. And he says, I will destroy it from off the face of the earth. Now he's going to use Gentile kingdoms to do this. He's not going to come and destroy Israel directly himself. He's going to raise up the Gentile beasts. They're going to destroy his people. And then he will put down, when, when the objective is met, when the covenant objective is met, then he will put down the beasts at, at his return and save his people. He says, and that's what he says here, and I will destroy it. This is Amos 9, verse 8. And I, will and, and I hope you get your Bible, open it, so that you're not just listening to me. You're actually reading it in your text. That I'm not making this up, I'm, I'm just reading to you what the prophets have written. Amos 9, verse 8. Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom. This is the kingdom of priests that he set up in Exodus 19. And they have completely rebelled against him, according to Isaiah 1. And so he says he will destroy it from off the face of the earth. But then notice this. Except that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, says the Lord. So this, this kingdom is so evil and so rebellious and wicked that God has to destroy it. But he is bound by a covenant that he made not only to Moses. So that, that covenant that he made with Moses, he can destroy Israel according to that covenant with Moses because it's very clear if they don't obey, then they'll be destroyed. But he made a covenant with Abraham, which was unconditional, that he will be glorified in Abraham. And that covenant with Abraham, which is unconditional, it passed down and cascaded down to Abraham's son Isaac. And from Isaac, instead of going to Esau, it went to Jacob. It went to Israel. Therefore, because of the covenant agreement that God has with Abraham, that Israel inherited, or Jacob inherited, therefore Jacob cannot be destroyed. And therefore God will be glorified in Jacob forever. And God will be known as the God of Jacob forever. So even though this is a wicked kingdom, and it deserves the covenant destruction that has come upon it and will come upon it, it will not utterly be destroyed. It must be preserved because of the unconditional covenant that God has with Abraham. Verse 9, Amos 9, verse 9. He says, For lo, I will command, and I will sift the house of Israel among all nations, like as corn is sifted in a sieve, yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, and we're going to see this in Revelation, which say, the evil shall not overtake or prevent us. So they, they just think they're so wealthy, they're so privileged that they don't have to worry. But God says they, they, will, they will be destroyed. And only those who are driven to a true, heartfelt, wholehearted repentance will be preserved. And I will rebuild 
my kingdom from those. Back to Revelation 1. So we've seen that this is the revelation of Christ, which God gave him to show unto his servants, things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and then symbolized it by his angel unto his servant, John. Now let's hear about John. John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ. So he was, John was a faithful witness. And he bear record faithfully whatever the cost of the Word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ. So he had two things. He had the Word of God and he bear, he was faithful to bear witness to that. But he also had the testimony of Jesus Christ himself. And he bear witness of that. And then there's a third thing. And of all things that he saw. So we are getting the, the privilege of seeing what John saw. John saw things and he recorded them faithfully for us so that we can see through John's eyes. We, John was uh, transported into the future and we can now be transported into the future so looking back to our time we can draw a line, we can draw a thread from where we are today into the future when Jesus Christ returns. And we can interpret all the events that happen between now and then through John's eyes. Now, he says, verse 3, and I love this verse, Blessed, blessed, which means joyful for eternity, exceeding joy for eternity, Blessed is he that reads, and not only one that reads, and they that hear the words of this prophecy. So I am right now claiming this blessing of reading the words of this prophecy. So someone has to read, and then that person will be blessed for reading. So, you know, a lot of people look at Revelation, and it, it's very scary. And they don't want to touch it because it's so scary and they it's intimidating to them. And, and so they, they prefer not to read it. And God says the opposite. God says, blessed is the one that reads this. And, and, and the, the tense of the, the Greek is, is the, gives the sense of it's, it's present active. You, you, you keep reading. It's a continual thing. Don't, don't read and stop. Read and keep reading. And in the same way, hear and keep hearing. Blessed is he that reads and they that hear the words of this prophecy. And so this is a great blessing, but it's not just about the reading and the hearing. So yeah, I want to claim the blessing of reading. You want to claim the blessing of hearing. But it doesn't stop there. It, it's not just about reading and hearing. He says, and keep those things which are written therein. So, and, and this is the... the um, big problem that we have with the book of Revelation. It's such a mysterious book that it appeals to the ego. That if I can read this book and feel like I understand it and you don't, it, it can make me feel superior. Like, oh wow, I understand something you don't know. But that's not the point of the book. The point of reading the words of this prophecy and hearing the words of this prophecy, it has a point. It's to keep those things which are written therein. In, in Matthew 24, verse 13, Christ says, he, he that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. As I said, you know, we can see through John's eyes. And so from where we are today, we can see to the finish line when Jesus Christ returns. But there's a whole bunch of rough stuff between here and there. There are a whole bunch of hurdles we have to jump over between here and there. There's a ton of persecution of God's people between here and there. And Christ says, he that endures unto the end, the same shall be saved. Implying, not everyone's going to endure. And therefore, not everyone's going to be saved. It's only those who endure. And, and we, can be, we can increase the likelihood of our success 
by knowing in advance what's what what's going to befall us, what's going to happen. That that taking God's words seriously, where He said, you know, Christ said, "Behold, I've told you beforehand, so that you can know." Forewarned is forearmed. So the the revelation is to show us those things which must shortly come to pass. Why? Because forewarned is forearmed. We are to be forearmed. And so the blessing is in understanding and then keeping those things which are written herein. Why? For the time is at hand. In other words, all of the things that need to occur before the, the things that are prophesied between now and the end, it's all happened. Christ has come. He's been victorious in his mission. He's now he's, he's, he's launched the church age. He's prepared his first fruits. And, and now it's just a matter, and that's why, again, you have this sense of the world just spinning out of control, accelerating, because everything's, everything's in place. And therefore, the time is at hand. Don't be caught off guard. Keep the things. Understand what's in this book. And keep those things which are written therein. Revelation 1, verse 4. Now it begins. So that was sort of the introduction. And now we come to the actual letter. He says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia. So this is a letter that is written from the Apostle John specifically to seven churches. And these seven churches are in Asia. That was a province of Rome, the Roman Empire. Uh, Roman Empire obviously has, has been uh, crushed. And that province is now called Turkey. So they, these are seven churches which are in Turkey. And, and they were on a mail route, and they have been chosen because of symbology. They, they, they are symbolic, and we'll get into that um, as, we, as we go forward in this letter. But just for now, this is, they, 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 they are symbolic of the whole church, that the attributes in these seven congregations speak to the attributes of all of God's people between the time that John received the revelation and the time that Jesus Christ returns. So everything that the church needs in terms of being forewarned is in these seven letters. He says, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be to you and peace. Because the Revelation is a book of turmoil, terror, and destruction. And yet, as we're about to launch into this book of turmoil, terror, and destruction, we hear a greeting from John to the seven churches to God, which represent God's people, and it's a greeting of grace and peace. God's people are not under wrath. We don't need to be under wrath. We, we are under grace if we do what God tells us to do. And so we don't need to be fearful about what's written in this book we can approach it confidently knowing that god's will for us is grace and peace grace be unto you and peace from who from him which is and which was and which is to come so this is from god and god is emphasizing his isness it's not, it's not from him which was, which is, and which is to come, past, present, future. It's from him which is. He is. And to give context, he was, and he is to come. He is coming to earth. Not only from him, but also from the seven spirits which are before his throne. So these are clearly uh, seven angels, angelic beings, that serve him continually and they're with him before his throne and from jesus christ who is the faithful witness so it's from god from these seven angels and from jesus christ who is the faithful witness and the firstborn of the dead so this this tells us you know people a lot of christians today say i'm born again no you're not born again you have to be born from the dead to be born again. 
Jesus Christ is the firstborn from the dead. And we will be resurrected to life as he was. And we will be born again at that time. Receipt of the Holy Spirit is not a birth. It's a begettal. The same way that a man impregnates his wife. And she then is, has the seed. And the seed grows within her. This is the Christian life. That the Holy Spirit, in a sense, impregnates us. Or, or God, God, the Holy Spirit would represent God's seed in us. And we are now begotten. And we are growing. And as we are growing, you know, in nine months gestation period, we're becoming more and more like him. And then we are finally born at the resurrection. So don't get confused between what it means to be born again versus begotten again. And, and in the King James it says first begotten, but the Greek, the better translation is first born of the dead, which it also says in Colossians 1. And Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, so again, the emphasis on being a faithful witness, and John was a faithful witness as well, following the example of Christ, and he's the firstborn of the dead. And John will be born from the dead as well. And when we go to Revelation 20, verse 4, we'll see the rest of the saints that will be born from the dead. But Christ is the firstborn from the dead. And he's the only one of all the human beings that have ever lived on the earth. Jesus Christ was human. He died. He's the only one that came back to life in a glorified state. No other human being has done this. And so our hope is in his passage from death from the grave to life. And this is where we pin our hope of eternal life. And the prince, or the chief, of the kings of the earth. So of all the kings of the earth, Christ is higher than them all. And we know in Philippians 2 that God says he's given him a name above every name. That at, every, at his name, every knee will bow, including the great kings of the earth. Then he says, unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And, and the us is Israel. And we'll, 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 as we'll unpack this, we'll, we'll, we'll see it. But the Bible is a book about Israel. And, and be careful not to just genericize God's word and just make it completely generic. Oh, he washed mankind's blood. You, you won't understand the Bible unless you understand it's a book about Israel. And, and he came to save Israel. And, and he's washing the sins of Israel in his own blood. And through Israel, he's extending salvation to all mankind. But it's through Israel. And he has made us, again, that's Israel, and those grafted in. He has made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. And again, it's the glory of kings to search out a matter. And it's very clear here. He's made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen and amen and amen. Now, this notion that he has made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, is this new? Is this a kind of a, a brand new thing? That God is going to make us kings and priests. But everything in Revelation is according to what his prophets have declared. That the mystery is going to finish according to what's been declared by the prophets. And this notion of Israel being made kings and priests is not new. It's in the Torah. It's from the prophet Moses. And in Moses, uh, in, in the Torah, Exodus 19... And verse 5, as God is covenanting with Israel that they'll be his special people, he says in verse 5, Exodus 19, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. I'm the creator. The earth is mine, and I've chosen you to be in covenant with me. And if you will obey me, you'll be a peculiar treasure above all people. And he says in verse 6, 
and you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, a set-apart nation. These are the words which you shall speak unto the children of Israel. <laughs> you can't understand the book of Revelation if you have no regard for the Torah. The foundation of the Bible is the Torah. And the foundation of all prophecy is the Torah. If you reject the Torah, you'll be confused forever. You will never understand it. And so we're going to unpack the symbols in Revelation. We have to go back to the Torah. And so God has chosen these people through Abraham as the mechanism through which he will offer salvation to all mankind. And it is his intent to have this nation set apart as a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. In other words, king priests. And so now it finally happens, as we conclude, and, and you know these are rebellious people, and God is, because of his covenant, he continues to work with them and drive them to repentance. And he says, now it's happened. He has made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Verse 7, Revelation 1. Behold, he comes with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. So we know that when Christ ascended and they watched him go, he went into the clouds. And the angel said, you men, why are you staring like this? He's going to return the way that he left. In other words, he was he left into the clouds. He's returning with the clouds. But what's really interesting in this verse, a couple of things here in this verse 7. So one is that he's going to come with the clouds. Second, every eye shall see him. So it's not going to be a mystery. In Matthew, in Matthew 24, Christ warns us against deception. That people are going to come and say, hey, he's in the desert, he's over here, he's in the secret chambers. And he says, don't follow them. These are liars. He's not in the desert. That when he comes, every eye will see him. So again, if we're not reading the prophecies, we can be taken up with deception. But when the deception comes, if we're reading the word of God, we have everything we need to decipher and to protect ourselves from deception. So every eye will see him. And then there's an emphasis and they also which pierced him. These are the Jews. They pierced him. And they're the ones that specifically will see him. And then all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. The return of Jesus Christ is not good news for the world. In fact, it's really bad news for the world. The book of Revelation shows us that the whole world is going to take the mark of the beast. And it's going to collude and there's going to be one Babylonian system that will govern the whole world. This one global system, which is what we see unfolding now. And the whole world is going to go after them, after the beast. And that's going to be a big, like, uh, I can't even articulate it. It's a big mistake. Big mistake. Worst mistake ever. And so when Christ returns and they have the mark of the beast, they are all going to wail because of him. And, you know, God says here, kindreds or tribes. God sees the world as tribes. And, and notwithstanding all of the globalist talk today and trying to make us all one, and no, we're, we're tribes, we're families of the earth. But he says, they also which pierced him. In the, these are the Jews. In Matthew 23, be, be introducing the prophecy in Matthew 24, sort of the, the, the introduction to the prophecies in Matthew 24, is Matthew 23 where God condemns the leadership of the Jews. And then in verse 37, he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you that kill the prophets, Jerusalem, God's people, you kill the prophets and stone them which are sent unto you. How often would I have gathered your children together? Even as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, but you wouldn't have. You wouldn't have it. You didn't want my help. He said, Behold, 
your house is left unto you desolate. And that ties in, he's speaking to Jerusalem, that now Jerusalem will be desolate. And that ties into the prophecy with Isaiah. Isaiah 6, verses 9 to 11. And Isaiah says, how much longer are they going to be in the dark? And God says, until the city is desolate. So now when the city is desolate, this is what's going to drive full repentance, and God will remove the scales from the, the eyes of the Jews, and they will finally acknowledge Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 39 here of Matthew 23, For I say unto you, you shall not see me again, until you shall say, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. That they are going to be so relieved because Jerusalem is going to be surrounded by armies. And if you look at Zechariah, uh, the first part of Zechariah 14, verses 1 and 2, and then all of Zechariah 12, you'll have a better understanding of what's going to happen to Jerusalem and how Jesus Christ is going to then act to save Jerusalem and ensure that the Gentile powers do not have their full way. They're going to have partial, but they're not going to have their full way with Jerusalem. That just when they think they can completely vanquish and wipe out these people, that's when Christ will return and they will look and see him and they will say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And so, yes, he's going to come with the clouds and yes, every eye is going to see him, but now there's a separation. Those who pierced him and then the kindreds of the earth. The kindreds of the earth are going to wail because of him. But those who pierced him are going to say, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And please, read Zechariah 12 and 14 to have a better understanding of what the conditions of the earth are going to be like when Christ returns. Verse 8. I am Alpha and Omega. Christ identifies himself. He's Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the ending. We're going to see this several times through the book. His servants must understand. Christ is Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the ending. In other words, this whole process that mankind is going through, beginning with the creation of Adam in Genesis 1, and all the way through to the return, or, or I should say the, the New Jerusalem, in Revelation 21 and 22, and the descent of the Father to earth, that from beginning to end, Jesus Christ has been the author, the architect, the orchestrator of this entire process. Everything is unfolding exactly as he wills, because he is Alpha and Omega. And whatever happens in the middle is only allowed to happen according to his will. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, says the Lord, which is, and which was, and which is to come. So the same way God is the one which is, and which was, and which is to come, Christ is saying he is the one which is, and which was, and which is to come. And to make that really, really clear, in case you had any doubt who Jesus Christ is, he is the Almighty. Jesus Christ is the Almighty. And you need to understand this concept of Elohim, that Jesus Christ and the Father are God together. And Jesus Christ is the Almighty. He makes this very clear. In Genesis 1 and verse 26, when God created man, he said, and God said, let us, plural, Maybe you haven't seen this before. He didn't say, let me, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. So man is made after the likeness of God, and that's in us. And in Isaiah 6, we were just there, verse 9 to 11, but in verse 8, right before verse 9 where we read, in verse 8 of Isaiah 6, he says, I heard the voice of the Lord. So Isaiah heard God's voice. What did he say? Saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? 
who will go for us? And then Isaiah says, here I am, send me. But Isaiah heard God say, who will go for us? Moses writes that God says, let us make man in our image. And now Christ is saying, I am the Almighty. And clearly God is the Almighty, Christ and God together. Verse 9. I, John, who also am your brother, and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. So John is identifying himself as our brother, and not just our brother, so he's our brother, he's also our companion in tribulation. So we're going to read a lot of tribulation, a lot of persecution in this book. And John is saying, hold the line. And I'm not telling you something to go through something that I haven't gone through. I, I'm your companion in tribulation. I've gone through this as well. But it's not just I'm your companion in tribulation. I'm also your companion in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. That this kingdom that's coming, which is ours, it's also going to require patience. And that patience can only come with prophetic understanding. That when wild things start happening around us, we need to be able to open the prophetic word and say, ah, this is exactly what Jesus Christ told us would, would happen. And as we see that things are unfolding according to his word, we hold the line. And so John is saying, this is what I've had to do. This is what you have to do as well. We have to go through much tribulation. We have this kingdom that's waiting for us. It's going to require the patience of the saints. And that patience is the patience of Jesus Christ. Now he tells us that he himself, he says, look, I'm your companion in tribulation. I was in the isle that is called Patmos. So he was basically imprisoned on this island. He's in um, confinement and, and uh, in isolation on this island called Patmos. And he explains why. Why was I there? For the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. The, the, the book is, is, is uh, brought to us or introduced to us saying that this angel took the revelation and gave it to John who bore witness of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And John is now saying, look where that got me. That got me imprisoned. All of the other apostles were, were beheaded and crucified and, and, and martyred. I'm now, uh, John is the only one that wasn't martyred, and, and the reason, so that he could write this book. But he was uh, put in confinement and imprisoned on this island. And so there he is on the island receiving this revelation. But the reason he's there, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And he tells us he's our companion in tribulation. So as we are faithful to the word of God, and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, who knows what we will face? Well, we're going to see in the book of Revelation what we might face. But he that endures to the end will be saved. And we can endure to the end because of the apocalypsis, because of the revealing, because God is showing us everything, what, how, how and where and when and why everything is going to unfold. And then he says, look, I was on this isle called Patmos. And in verse 10, the, he tells us the reason why, for the word of God and the testimony of Christ. But on this island, he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. So he's there on the island. And he hears this sound like a trumpet and he's wondering what it is. And I think what we'll do is we'll pause here. When we come back next week, this is such a fascinating book. And then you see, we're just going to go through it line by line. And, uh, and we're going to, we're going to um, lean on the resources of the Old Testament in order to understand these symbols. And, and you're going to see how it's just going to become crystal, crystal clear to you that the Bible interprets the Bible. And we don't have to be confused. And we don't need to come up with all kinds of wild ideas. We can be, we can, we can be very, very clear about our understanding of what this book is all about because God wants us to understand what it's all about. So take a listen to this. I'll be right back. Europe, Asia, Africa, America, Australia. God is calling here. He's home. 
of the earth, children of the universe. Why can't you be faithful and true? All that is done for you, all that is brought you through. Yet you've gone your own way, and you chose not to pray. Stop, be still, hear him and pray. He is your maker, he is your God. So you're able to join us? Sylvia, are you there? I don't I just think it's just us right now. Hopefully she'll join us. Yeah. Yeah. So the, brothers, the brothers from Jamaica joining us? No, they have a they have a leadership conference today, but hopefully they'll join us next week. Okay. Very interesting lesson. I had some technical problems um, with my, both my, my iPad and my phone. I see. So I came in when you were on the third paragraph or something. Okay. Yeah. But um, very interesting book, the book of Revelation. Yeah, it's a book that's been very intriguing for many, many centuries, and uh, people have, have all kinds of wild ideas about what it actually means. And I think we can be safeguarded from that if we just use the Bible to interpret the Bible. Have you had any thoughts on the yeah, book? Main region, Go ahead. Hello? Go ahead. So there are many denominations that believe that Jesus Christ is a separate father from, from what the Father. You know, a lot of religions Well, a lot of people will believe in the, the Trinity, for example. That's a, a belief that they think... And, and Revelation is a very good book if you believe in the Trinity. To go from Revelation 1 all the way through to 22 and see if there is any talk of Trinity at all. Uh, it, just, it, it just speaks of Christ and the Father. And, and the Father has a throne and Christ has a throne. and uh, Christ will be on earth and the Father will come down to earth. And, and never is the Holy Spirit mentioned as a separate being. And so, but who is the Holy Spirit? But the Holy Spirit is is a part of God and, and the Son, right? Absolutely, and that's their power. That's how they work through the Holy Spirit. But it's not a person. Oh, so, okay. Oh, I see. Okay, they work through the Holy Spirit. Yes. And so, what you're saying, they don't work the same. Well, there are, there are two beings. Uh, they're both God, but there are two beings. In, in fact, um, let me just find the scripture for you. I believe it's in uh, Corinthians, but let me see if I can see. Give me one second. Give me one second here. Right. Yeah, here it is. Um, yeah, so 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 6. He says, but to us there is but one God, the Father. That, that is the only God. There's one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. So Jesus Christ created everything, and he's the Lord. But God, in terms of the highest being, the supreme being, there is only one God, and that's the Father. So the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ are together, but the Father is the supreme being, and Jesus Christ is the Lord under him, but Jesus Christ is the creator of all. And they both work through the Holy Spirit. They use, they both, exactly, the Holy Spirit is the energy, the power of God, 
Absolutely right. Well, I see the power of God, yeah. yeah. The power of everything. Yeah. And and the Jews were very familiar with the Holy Spirit. I mean, the people, some of the Christians will act like the Jews had no contact with the Spirit. But the Spirit has been working with, through God works through the Spirit. And the, 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 the Israel, ancient Israelites and the Jews were very familiar with the Spirit. And they didn't ever think of it as a person. It was just, it was the power of God. So on the day of Pentecost, God sent his power upon the disciples. He sent his, say that again, he sent his... On the day of Pentecost, when yes. God sent the Holy Spirit on the disciples, he sent his power yes. upon them, right? Yes, exactly right, exactly right. That's right. And that, that was uh, according to pro the prophecy uh, in Joel, where Peter says, this is what's written in the prophecy of, uh, of Joel, that he would pour out his spirit upon them. Exactly right. And that spirit enables us to do his will, to think like him, to, to become like him. Trinitarian formula is an ancient pagan formula, and so when the when the Gentiles came into the church, they brought these philosophy, Greek philosophies and pagan traditions with them, and we have to be careful. We have to just stick to the oh. word of God. Oh. Mm. Okay. Um, 